Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we did an episode last week that discussed the concept of preparing ourselves so that virtue and goodness spontaneously flows from us. And that thought and that conversation has led to a couple of different questions in my mind, a couple of different things that have popped up. So one of the things that we discussed were we essentially were accountable for our own actions using the analogy from the Bible that the bridesmaids holding their oil is that the oil is the holiness within us. How, how in line are we with virtue? How much are we living effectively living the gospel? And that can't be transferred or sold. I can't pour out my soul into someone else's soul. I can't just hand you over 40 years of running a virtuous life and just think it's transferable like an online uh, Venmo deposit from one person to another. However, we also do recognize that we can build environments around us that holiness and virtue is more likely to spring from. And this leads me to a question that I think might inherently create some friction from those two dynamics. The first dynamic being that we are responsible for our own actions and that we are ourselves an individual person with free will. We cannot make someone else do something. However, we also are called to go out and to spread the good news, which is an attempt to convert the hearted of hearts. This is all, in my mind, church language of trying to make people be more virtual who aren't us. Not just us, but those around us. And it seems that there's an inherent friction behind this, and also a very easy pit trap um, that I think that people easily fall into, which is the notion that a structure, a system is so large, I can't impact it one way or another. You know, at the end of the day, if I don't fully pay all my taxes and I only pay 60% of them, well, the federal government has so much money coming in, that 40% that I'm skimming off the top, no one's going to know. It's not going to really matter. I mean, what does my 400 bucks have to do with trillions of dollars? You know, it's kind of a irrelevant spot, but as you had pointed out before, that creates a cycle and a stepping stone for for negativity and for problems to be able to flow from our actions. So it gets back to reinforcing your point that we all are accountable for ourselves, for the momentum that we go in our own lifestyle. So I wanted to have the discussion here of our obligation to others. And I know in the past we've kind of touched upon this and it came down to kind of what is your authority? You know, a father with a developing child is more responsible because the child is still developing. It's not, it, it, it's learning everything from you. But when we're looking from essentially adult to adult relationships, you know, I think that most people find that they can become uncomfortable with people who are not on the same 
general spectrum as them. You know, people don't feel comfortable with their someone who they know is cheating. Um, you know, they know that a business deal is being crooked. So it's easier just not to buy from that store who's ripping you off than it is to try to confront that store. And I think that that's a, an example that we all have felt in different ways throughout our lives. It's easier just not to respond to that guy's text message or not to go hang out with him and stuff along those than it is to, to fix it. And also in doing so by me going with people who are also being more virtue that I want to be with, it's easier for me to grow. So there's kind of a built-in thought process here to go to people who are already going to help that I can help because they're already going that direction and kind of let the other ones go downhill more. And I think that that friction is something that I'd like to talk about because it doesn't seem that either answer is necessarily wrong, but it doesn't seem like either answer is necessarily right either. So I wanted to uh, kind of let the let you talk about this because I know it's something that you've had to have encountered here throughout your teachings of as being a priest. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough question. The uh, yeah, taking on these these big institutions uh, is is not something that has obvious pathways of success, and I think you're inside i think i was hearing that in, in the midst of what you were sharing was that uh you that we can we can do things at the small scale and the affect the large scale so just uh maybe issuing one complaint you know we, we've all experienced that sometimes that comes out in the well like the me too movement or something it took somebody the courage who who knew that she might not be believed um, but when she spoke out, so did five other women. And suddenly there's a case. And sometimes evil prevails because no one's willing to speak out. But when one person takes that step in courage, others are, are encouraged by it and follow suit. And we can start to change the, the direction of things. Um, likewise, you know, <laughs> Even when you think about voting, you can feel like your vote is so meaningless. But especially in this past election, I mean, we see how much a few votes really matter. And when it comes down to a thousand votes and then at the local level, when it comes down to a handful of votes between one candidate and another, um, one vote certainly matters. Obviously, you know, there's a, the ocean is only made up of single drops of water. And so even even when you're talking about 60 million votes, that's 60 million votes, which would be missing one if you didn't vote. And so we have to have courage to do the right thing at the small scale. We don't necessarily need to have a plan on how to tackle the whole problem of, uh, of abuse or tackle the whole problem of uh, winning a, a presidential race or some local election. But we have to be willing to do our part, whatever that is. There are some people who take on the whole problem. I mean, there are campaign managers to, to take on those big presidential campaigns. There are also uh, individuals who make major efforts against ridding everybody of, of all kinds of abuse. I mean, I think of what the U.S. bishops did almost 20 years ago in setting out standards that affected the entire Catholic Church. I mean, 
they had to make that. There were individuals who made those proposals and they saw the big picture and they, they set out a plan that has swept through the church. And we can really say that the church is the safest place in the world right now for children. It's been an incredible success and it took people with vision who are willing to do hard things and tackle uh, real institutional problems. And so it is possible to do those things, but it's also possible to, to work at the local level. And we, we come to, you know, make a, several good decisions by starting with one good decision. The, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And we just need to know what direction to set out in to make that one step. And then we make the next step and then the next step and we can continue the journey from there. So those, um, those are the attitudes, being willing to do the small thing, being willing to, to make the small contribution. Those are the, the kinds of attitudes that, that really make a difference and, uh, and can really carry us the distance if we, if we keep at it. And, to, to dive into it, the, the power of one voice doing the right thing and, and sticking with it. I think that that's something that is, is obviously very important because if every individual did the right thing, there wouldn't be a problem with the structure. And I think that so many times we get caught in the situations where there's almost a feeling of, of hopelessness or irrelevance to it that, I'm so small in this equation, you know, say, say you live in a state that has for the presidential election that has zero chance of ever changing its color, at least for this particular election. You know, you live in Kansas. It's going to be a Republican state no matter what. So why does my vote even matter? Or I live in New York as a democratic example. So, you know, what, what difference would it make? So I, I, I think that part of it is, is that, when we're dealing with issues of, of man versus issues of the soul is I think where the distinction that, that we were trying to make the last episode was, was that we inherently have some baseline feeling of what's right and what's wrong. It might not be perfectly nuanced that we know every single detail about how everything was made, but in general, we know when confronted to us that, something feels right or something feels wrong. And partial part of what we've discussed before is the more we get going down, what's right, the more nuance kind of reveals itself when the spontaneous nature that you mentioned before, you know, they could come down and tell me this is how a medicine's made. And I don't have a bioengineering background. I don't know how any of that works, but getting some baseline feels you know, I can make a judgment about whether or not that's something that I would want to be a part of or not. So it came from, you know, these plants that they ground down and, you know, now it's an herbal supplement and it makes you feel better. Okay. There doesn't seem to be any problem with that. Um, you know, and then you can also see things that come from the other sides and the church isn't calling us to be incredibly knowledgeable about every single feature. It teaches us something that's universal about what's right and wrong and ultimately good and evil. That if you follow these virtues and continue with them, this whole concept of what is just and what is not just 
becomes more apparent. Um, you know, giving people their due, you know, knowing your place within the ecosystem. And because you matter at the, the amount that you actually matter, not an overinflated ego and not a underinflated ego, but knowing that you're a relevant, vibrant member is important. And I think that that's what, what we're called to do. So the fact that we're not able to see the spiritual world within us, you know, all the time, like we can see a skyscraper, we can see the Capitol building, we can see things, they were built, but we truly can't see the structures that God built, but we can feel them. And I think that that's something that can be particularly hard for, for people to, to grasp how meaningful choosing right over wrong is not just in their lives, but in those around them. Yeah, that's right. Each, each decision forms us. We are, we are formed by the decisions that we make. And when we make decisions that develop virtue, then we also benefit from that. Um, and in a way analogous to the kinds of sports analogies or the working out analogy that you used before, um, when, when we do it, it gets a little bit easier. We, we lift weights a little bit easier. We um, continue a habit a little bit easier. And every time we make a positive decision, we, it becomes a little easier to make that decision the next time, for good or for evil, actually, positive or negative decision. We all know that experience, too. There's a, the first time that we crossed a line and committed a sin, the, uh, it was harder than the second time. Once, the, once the, the line has been crossed, once the fence has been torn down, becomes very hard to rebuild, never quite as strong as it was initially. And that's what we want to be careful about, what kinds of decisions that we make. Uh, like you said, the laying a foundation, building a, a skyscraper that starts with very humble beginnings, but steadily becomes something incredibly uh, impressive. We do the same thing virtuously in our souls. We, we build skyscrapers there. That means that we need to have a good foundation and then we need to lay the, the first bricks or pour the first concrete or lay the first uh, steel reinforced uh, rods or whatever it is. And we have to be intentional about doing that kind of thing. Every, every decision that we make is going to be uh, a part of that process. And so we want to make sure that we're making those decisions consciously. And obviously we've had, similar discussions about this in many ways. I mean, we've, we've talked about the fact that we're all going to be judged at some point, that, that this is first and foremost about us as individuals that we're judged. This isn't a group thing. And I wanted to get to, to that thought about how we know that we can put ourselves in situations that can make us grow better and become more virtuous. We, we know that just as a very basic example, attending daily mass in general is going to put you in a more holy or grace state than not attending mass um, at all. You know, if you only go twice a year, you're not going to be in the same situation of grace as you would be as if you would go every day. So my question here is there, we obviously know people that are, are going to be more prone to going down the direction of wanting to be holy. And there's more people who are going to be prone 
to resist that. Intellectually speaking, it would make sense if you're only looking from yourself's perspective to surround yourself with people who are going the direction you want to go. You know, that way their habits will blend upon yours and vice versa, and you'll make a team stronger. Whereas that's not helping the other group, it's just making the strong stronger. And we see that in many aspects of it. You, you can take the business world, for example. I know that when I was coming through business school and college, one of the things that we were encouraged to do was to find mentors of people who were already successful. So we could take their habits and make them part of us so that that way we can grow. And which is great, but you're, you're taking good habits and spreading them on to other people. But those who never had the good habits or never really truly developed them are kind of left to their own negative devices, which ultimately are destructive. So that line of friction is kind of something I wanted to talk there of. What is our obligation, if any, to help those who may not even want to help themselves? Well, I like what you said in our previous podcast about the importance of creating environments that foster virtues, creating the right greenhouse to grow the plants, creating the right corporate culture that supports good behavior. And uh, I think there's a real obligation to do that for those who have authority. I think it's a good way to think about authority and what that uh, looks like it's creating an environment, creating a culture, those, whether it's the head of a family or the head of a business, whether it's the head of a parish or the head of a diocese, authority is, is meant to foster growth. The word authority is related to the word agriculture. Author comes from auger and uh, goes back to agriculture. So uh, it's about growing people. Authority is about growing people. It's not about dominating, controlling, and manipulating. It's about creating environments, cultures in which others can grow. Expectations, buzzwords, we measure what matters, the things that we assess, the uh, positive reinforcement that we give, the, uh, a lot of things in a culture can, can really foster good behavior and can foster virtue. Now, if you're in a corporate culture, of course, you can only foster good behavior within the culture, and then people have to make their own decision to take that home, to live that out outside of the work environment. But I was mentioning uh, pornography before, and I know a lot of businesses that have very strict measures about pornography. They often do it for the sake of productivity and being compromised in legal ways and a number of uh, self-serving things. But uh, it's it's helpful. It it also happens to well. It just goes with the fact that you know sin is not really free. We we often lie to ourselves and think that we can do bad things and it doesn't really affect other things. But a sin is never free. The the devil proposes that he's giving us pleasure for free, power for free, prestige for free. Um, but he's never. It's it always has strings attached. There's always a slavery that goes with it. There are always negative consequences. And so corporations are smart to create cultures that prevent sin, uh, to say it simply. You know, corruption, fraud, those are other things that can happen in corporate cultures. But um, yeah, so we, we have an, a, a responsibility insofar as we have authority to use that authority to create environments that foster virtue, that help other, 
others to do good things. And then likewise, uh, in terms of correction, we can point out where people are going astray. We can point out where people are making bad decisions or, or thinking in distorted ways, and we can expose some of those uh, thought patterns or behavior patterns. And we want to find the best way to do that in a way that will actually help the person undergo a conversion, not just shame them and therefore drive them farther away or call it drive the bad behavior underground so that it continues to happen. It's just less obvious, less visible. Um, you know, so there's an art to doing that well, but especially if uh, one has authority over someone else uh, or one is a, a real brother, Cain asks the question, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, the answer is yes, I am my brother's keeper. We're all entrusted to each other as Christians who have one father. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have to look out at, after each other. And um, so we, we find ways to do that and, and take that responsibility, responsibility very seriously, how we can help our, our brothers and sisters grow in virtue, do things that are good, and, and thus have more fulfilling lives. It feels good to do good. Joy is one of the qualities of developed, highly developed virtue. And so we want to help others also to know the joy of being in, interiorly free and being able to freely choose what is good. So I, I guess that gets in, in, in partially into the question I was trying to ask there is, is going with your example of of the corporate structure or a, a structure being to prevent sin, which which will lead to joy, um, as you said there, from leading a virtuous life. You know, if you are the company who's known for stealing, you're going to attract people who are enticed to that and, and create a, a negative a negative slope. But as you even said throughout that is that they might not be putting the filters on or, or having intense auditing practice to make sure that, that your people are not stealing or, or going on the internet and doing things that they shouldn't. They're doing it so that their company ultimately can be more successful. You know, you're going to be a more successful if you're sitting at your desk doing productive business things than wandering the internet and going down, down in the bad places. So if you look at it, from the outside, this company just made these rules to help itself. But in reality, it's while it is doing that, it is helping itself. It's also preventing negativity. So you could make an argument that they're just being self-serving and selfish. My question is, does that even matter in the equation? If at the end of the day, they're doing something that's making people better, they're creating policies that are, are leading to the good is the fact that the corporation itself is getting benefit out of it irrelevant or a negative byproduct or just the way it is. St. John Paul II in his work on the acting person talked about the human being as a unique value that is an end in himself and never a means to be exploited to another end. And when we think about that, it raises the question, well, don't I use human beings all the time? Uh, after all, when I go to McDonald's, I'm not necessarily respecting the, you know, thinking of the cashier as a, a sort of value in himself that I'm, 
that I'm seeking out. Uh, he's a means to an end. I want a hamburger. He's the one that's able to take my money, make the hamburger and give me the hamburger. And, mm -hmm. and there is a way that we could use, uh, exploit daily workers. We can treat them like objects, treat them like robots, or we can treat them like human beings with whom we are collaborating towards uh, mutual goods. So he's working in order to get some money and I'm basically supporting him in his work. And so I'm collaborating with him on his project and I'm hungry and I want a hamburger and he's collaborating with me on my project. And so when we're collaborating together for the mutual benefit of both parties, that's not merely using one party as an end to the, the selfish means of another or the selfish as a means to the selfish end of another party. So a corporation who will benefit in profit. And by the way, if the corporation doesn't benefit in profit, then everybody loses because the corporation folds and all the employees don't get any money anymore. So even the corporation's profit is not simply an end in itself. And good corporations know that. And that's why they treat their employees well. If it's not a collaboration towards a mutually beneficial good, then it's going to fold anyway. But that's the way that it's not simply using a human being towards a selfish end of a corporation. And again, corporations that act that way, and there are some that do. And I think we're always kind of on a, a, a need for self-examination in those areas to say, am I using, am I exploiting my employees? Am I treating them like a unit of labor? Or am I treating this, these people as human beings who have an infinite dignity and who are an end in themselves, who are uh, seeking their own goods and that I'm supporting in doing that? Maybe for the, they're earning money for the sake of a family. And essentially, I'm collaborating with them in the care for their family by employing them and paying them. And they are collaborating with me in the whatever product that I'm producing, the product itself is in the service of some greater good. It's not just in the service of making money. Usually speaking anyway, I suppose there are money making things that make money on money. But, um, you know, I mean, primarily we're, we're working together towards mutually beneficial ends and that's uh, commendable. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's I think that's a great note to end upon here as, as we're concluding today's episode. You know, we thank everyone out there for listening, and we will be with you again next week.